Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Here's your host, Paul Hudrick. Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I am Paul Hudrick, the community producer at Liberty Ballers, and I am joined by a very special guest. Second week in a row after I I, I froze you out all year long, and now (laughs) I have you on two weeks in a row, and that is, of course, Dave Early, who is, uh, I, I guess, like, if people don't know, like we can just kind of announce that you're going to be full, full Liberty ballers, full go, right? Like that's, that's, that is the plan. Yes. Yes. I sneaked that in on a pod with Sean. I think at the very end, I said exclusively for Liberty ballers. Love it. Um, so yeah, I have uh, successfully stolen you away. Um, no, but uh, we are very excited about that and very happy that you're going to be with us in a uh, larger capacity and just focusing on the Philadelphia 76ers. But today (laughs) our subject, actually it's very useful that you spent so much time uh, splitting it with the Nets and the Sixers. Cause today we're doing our season review of James Harden. And I suspect we will not run out of things to talk about. We'll probably have to cut ourselves off at a certain point uh, of things to talk about when it comes to Mr. Harden, because there's a lot of ground to cover here. And we're going to obviously get into, you know, first just the season and review and what that looked like. We'll talk about the contract stuff. Dave, you had a really great article this week, just kind of putting together pieces of some stuff we've seen from other reliable people about what a contract could look like and what the Sixers plan is, what Harden's plan is, what kind of the view is from the Sixers side of things, Harden side of things, and then the middle ground. And then, of course, discuss uh, Harden's future because it clearly looks like he is going to be a Sixer one way or another next year and probably beyond that. And so look at um, what that's going to look like going forward. So I want to start, Dave, with Harden with the Nets to start the season because I, I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I believe it's his nine highest point totals from last season were all with the Nets. Now, granted, some of that is he didn't have Kyrie, he didn't have Katie for you know a f- quite a few of those games, but I think it's pretty clear watching him that there was that there was a drop off at some point in the season. um, And it seemed to be around the time when that hamstring really started flaring up. So for you and just for the people who aren't as familiar with just the way his season went kind of, you know, from training camp into the start of the season. And then when the injuries happened, like what, like how do you view James Harden's season with the Nets? Yeah, well, th- thanks for the kind words about the article and uh, really, really excited to be with LB full time. So thanks for that. Um, it was it was tough because I think the context is really, really important. He I believe he initially tweaked the hamstring just the tweak March 31st, 2021. And there's some rumors that like he didn't really take that rehab seriously. I think 
someone reported that maybe he skipped a treatment to go out drinking and then played in a game and aggravated it. And then he was out until, you know, the playoffs, he was back. And I, people wondered at the time, okay, were they just being conservative? Cause they do that with KD. Were they waiting for the playoffs? Was that load management? But no, it was Harden's a gamer. That was uh, how Ian Begley put it at the time. He wants to play. So when he's out, he's really out. Um, and you did see that in the first minutes of the second round, he made it worse. And that was a grade two hamstring, which he said he couldn't practice or do the normal things he does in a summer, which is play pickup all summer long. I do to want to point out that too, real quick, like before that hamstring injury that you're talking about, this is a guy that was like in MVP conversations with the Nets. Like he was playing that well, that was March of 2021. I just like to point that out to people that it wasn't that long ago that this guy, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's not Houston Harden. Well, he was an MVP candidate a little over a year ago. But yeah, continue, please. Yeah, he was literally third in the key ladder at that time. Right, right. um, So he was, people always say not Houston Harden, like you said, but Nets Harden was lights out before that. Um, So... Then the season, you know, training camp, and now we've heard like Kevin Durant was a gas that he showed up and was not didn't look right. But yeah, I noticed it right away. I thought he just looks a little a step slow. Um, burst was the, the term that we use, and it's now the one that's been overplayed. Burst, burst, burst. It's not there. The way that the Nets talked about it was Steve Nash at one point said you have to be back playing for about as long as you were out. So if he was hurt since March, he, he might, might be like six, seven months until he's back back. And so I kind of bought that idea. I thought to myself, okay, maybe by January, he'll be, he'll feel like, all right, I'm definitely not going to repull that hamstring. You remember well at the time he was a national story because he was the poster boy for new rule changes. He'd swipe his arms under and not get the call. Everyone was like, oh, he's not getting free throws on one night. Um, and then there was talk about like, okay, well, Kyrie Irving's not in. He's not sure what his role is. Is he a point guard? Is he a scorer? Then there was talk about like, okay, well, he's being flanked by Bruce Brown and DeAndre Bembry. The spacing's not there. And I just felt like now looking back, not that the Nets were deliberately making excuses because these are all valid concerns but they were masking the simple fact that he just wasn't as good. Right. So I, I guess, was there a point to, because if at least, I mean, this is from the outside looking in, you, you would know better than I would. Um, it felt like definitely to start the year, the hamstring was an issue. And then as you pointed out, the rules changes were the rules emphasis, I should say, um, definitely seemed to hurt him as well. But then he seemed like he had like a really good stretch at one point where he was playing pretty damn well. Um, and then sort of it, it seemed like when KD was out um, along with Kyrie and even as Kyrie was kind of getting back into the lineup a little bit, it still seemed like that hamstring was really flaring up pretty badly. Like, was there a point where you noticed that it was kind of like, all right, like that, like you said, like you thought like maybe by January he'd be OK. But like, was there a point where you're like, all right, this looks like it's like it, maybe it was like kind of subsiding a bit, but, but it's here, like it's coming back kind of full force. Yeah. From my perspective, I remember this one night, let me look at the date on his game log here. I think it was November 12th 
and it was a game. They were on the road in New Orleans. And in the first minutes of the first quarter, I think I tweeted, like, James has his, his burst tonight. And he went for 39 in that game. So I was like, there was something I could see that he just looked a little bit more explosive from the beginning of that game. So maybe he needed, like, 10, 12 games to begin the year to start to feel better. Um, he didn't maintain it. So like then the next game, he wouldn't look as good. And he'd have these games that you saw in Philly quite a bit, where he was like four for 13, four for 15. You didn't really know why, but then he would explode in the next one for like 19 free throws and 34 points. So it started to dawn on me, like Kyrie's not around. He's got this big, big burden. Jake Fisher reported like, he went there to be a three-headed monster, not the focal point. And very often, every you know home game, he's the focal point. Um, I started thinking this guy needs to be load managed. Like he needs a rest day. He's playing huge minutes. Um, you saw when he was out with COVID for two weeks, he came back on Christmas Day. He absolutely torched the Lakers. He looked like pre-hamstring James for sure. And then I suppose it was somewhere in January where he actually tweak that left hamstring and the running joke on TNT was that he faked it. He quit on the nets. He wanted to be traded, but I had heard differently. I heard that it really was a thing. Um, well, he missed and then he missed all that time when he got here. Right. I mean, he was out until after the all-star break. So it wasn't like, yeah, I yeah, think, this- I think if he was healthy and like, it was just a charade to want to be traded, then wouldn't he have played when he got traded? Because that doesn't really, yeah, that story didn't never really add it up to me. Some um, fans were like, well, they had to do that to save face because of tampering and the reason silly, but yeah, it was a real hamstring. Steve Nash said it was, there was an MRI that actually did reveal a strength deficit and tightness and Woj and Ramona confirmed it, but still the wording from everyone was he kind of dogged it. Um, yeah. But looking back, it's like, well, maybe he didn't, maybe we just thought he did. And that's where, because now we got to get into his time with the Sixers, which started off brilliantly. I mean, really, I mean, he was, it wasn't just him. I think what you saw when he got here and for, again, for most of his stretch in the regular season, it sure. It wasn't again, just to throw this, it wasn't Houston Harden, but, it was the version from the Nets that you saw at times that made everyone better. He made Joel Embiid better. He made Tyrese Maxey better. Eventually, he started making Tobias Harris better. Like, And then, you know, the bench units, as much as he could make those bench units better, carry, you know, lugging around DeAndre Jordan for, you know, eight minutes at a time. Um, and I just, I, I, I can't, to me, I can't reasonably think that that guy's just gone, right? Like, he's not just gone. Like, it's got to be the injury. And I, I think the one way you phrased it, and, like, you, you pointed to that game in New Orleans, I feel like that's what you saw with the Sixers, is, like, he'd have stretches where he would be like, okay, this looks like James Harden. Like, this looks like the guy that they traded for. And then stretches where he just couldn't get by anybody. He, did, he didn't have that burst. He couldn't finish at the rim, and he wasn't get, on, on top of the fact that he wasn't getting those whistles that he had gotten in previous years. Like I, it, He went from having a very favorable whistle to, quite frankly, in my opinion, a really tough whistle. Um, and it wasn't just when he got traded to the Sixers. It was with the Nets. Like He, he, he got a much tougher whistle this season than he had um, ever in his career. And I think a lot of people, too, 
and I'm and I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes being like, man, like just stop grifting, like right, like just get to the rim and, and try to finish with strength. But I think when you're James Harden, and for a decade you were one of one of the most dominant offensive players in the sports history, and the way you did that was by getting to the free throw line and by doing what you did. You can't just turn that off, right? Like that's like you you have to. It, there's got to be adjustments made. So. I guess we'll go here. Like for you, before we get into the contract stuff, what did you see in the regular season and in the playoffs? Like, was it just basically more of the same from the nets in that stint or was it different? Was it worse? Like, and then, you know, and then in the postseason, he has the, the, the brilliant game four in that fourth quarter, who puts up 16 points and then has two just really, I mean, quite frankly, really bad performances, especially in game six. So if, I guess if you're going to compare and contrast the Nets version of James Harden this year and the Sixers version of James Harden, like what were the differences? What were the similarities? I guess I would say on the whole that the Nets version was a little bit better. Uh, I do feel that there was this distinct pattern where he got COVID, he was asymptomatic, and he came back and he looked really good, put up some huge, huge point totals, 33 points. Um. And then he had almost, what, three weeks off following the trade? I think it was something like that. It was at least two, yeah. Yeah, he was out. He was dealing with the effects of the left hamstring in Sacramento, that game where he went two for 11, his worst game ever. Everyone was like, he he was just completely dogging it. And maybe some of that is fair. But then it was not until 225 when he played again, and he came back 27 points, 29 points, 26 points, 25 points. And he looked great, and everyone was happy. But then you started to see three for 17 in a big game against the Nets, five for 19. There was that game where he was two for 11, and we saw him pawing at his hamstring in Phoenix. And so I, I think the idea that he gets time off and looks back, looks great after two weeks off, is very valuable information here that maybe the grind of, playing an every game role, which he wants to play. And this is obviously wanted him to play might be tough on him with his hamstring. And so maybe as you open the year, you consider more formulaic every five games, maybe he gets a night off just, just to maintain that and have preventative medicine. Do you feel like having said all that, and I agree with you. And I, I think you and I are like in a pretty on pretty much the same page with Harden. And I feel like some, some people have gone, I feel too much the other way where they're just, they've given up on the guy. They say he's done. And I have a hard time again, saying a guy is done at 32 years old when he looked like an MVP a year ago. Do you, but do you think like this off season is, is a time where he just has to do like a, a little bit, maybe soul searching is strong, but like, he just has to look at himself in the mirror and say like, all right, like I got to get this hamstring, right? I like, this is it. Like not that this is it, but you know what I mean? Like this is his best chance. Now this is this window with Joel Embiid being an MVP caliber player with a Tyrese Maxey. Who's, you know, he's developing into a star. Does James Harden kind of have to look at himself and say like, all right, like I I have to take this off season more seriously than perhaps any off season I've ever taken. And I don't mean that from a skill because clearly you don't become what he's become if you're not working on your game constantly. Like clearly that's the case, but I'm saying more from a health standpoint, more from a just, you know, taking care of himself standpoint. Yeah, I think very much so. I mean, 
was it Kevin O'Connor who kind of hinted or joked that like a lot of players like to smoke weed and James Harden likes to drink. Um, you know, I, I know James has said like, I'll have a cheat day once every month or something, but you don't, you don't get the sense that he's ever gone all in on it to the degree, like maybe Chris Paul did to get rid of these hamstrings and nip that in the bud. So if you wanted to say this was like a crossroads off season for him, then a hundred percent, I'd be on board. He needs to make some sweeping changes because Let's be honest, the, this was a wildly disappointing acquisition right now because you look at the opportunity cost and they, some of those young players, Tyrese Halliburton that you look at and you're like, could that have been better? It better be because uh, it better go the other way because Harden has to, has to look so much better than he did down the stretch. And it's hard to understand if some of that was the criticism he's received in the past. People have said like he's a front runner, you know, he didn't perform well in the finals with Oklahoma. He's shrunk in some big games. I think some of that's overblown because you saw with Luca down the stretch, like if you were a heliocentric player on a one-star team, it gets easier to scheme for you when you get to the final four. First of all, you might not be fully healthy because you've done so much heavy lifting to get there. But if the Sixers want to win a title, they can't take that model with Joel like they have the last two seasons. You know, they can't just have an MVP candidate with this massive usage and everyone else kind of struggles. Like they really need to get everyone on the same page so that they're getting all-star production out of two or three guys. Um, and James is a key cog here, obviously, because he's going to be the point guard. Well, I'm glad that no one at Liberty Ballers feels like they are a heliocentric star and that we are a good team. Uh, <laughs> sorry, just that's a phenomenal word. And I just wanted to use it again. Um, I'm glad you brought up uh, Chris Paul as well, because um I want to tie in a little bit of like kind of what he does in Phoenix and uh, tie that in with what James Harden could look like going forward as a sixer. And I definitely want to get to the contract stuff, but right now we're going to take a quick break more with Dave early on James Harden after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning as a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. And we are back. And 
Dave, as I mentioned off the top, you did a, a really good job with that article that you posted earlier this week, just about kind of the breadcrumbs we've been seeing about a possible James Harden contract, whether or not he will opt in. It seems to me, at least from the way he has talked, you know, his, his final press conference when he was asked if he will opt in, he didn't say yes, but he said he will be here, which to me seems like they're going to figure out either they've already kind of had the discussion. I mean, I'm sure they've already had some preliminary discussions on what that looks like. Um, and so I, I don't believe he will opt in for that. I believe it's 47 million. Um, I do not see him opting in. I see them working at a deal. So just touching on some of the stuff in your article, what do you see as a number? Like, let, let's go with kind of the way you structured the article. Like, what do you see as from Harden's perspective, from the Sixers perspective, and where is their kind of common ground? Yeah, I think, I think you nailed it. I think Harden would prefer not to opt in. Um, well, I mean, maybe he'd have his preference. He would opt in and then they would give him a max in a few months. But I think he would like to get some massive total that maybe allows them to build around him a little bit more, maybe in year one or year two of that deal. And I think the team would love, love that as a top priority as well. So some of the iterations we saw where they, he opts out and they restructure, you, you pick basically the total all-in number, and then you do whatever it takes to structure those you know, incremental raises, you can have them rise if you wanted him to make more later and add help now, or you could have them shrink if you were thinking about Tyrese Maxey's pending contract or a cap spike people were predicting for 2025 and how much less bad, quote unquote, bad that contract could look towards the tail end once he gets into his mid to late thirties. Um, but if you, if you, if you force me to guess today, I, I guess he's going to get a bag like, 180 million or something like that. Um, Cause I don't know. Are you like another... the four plus one structure. Is that what you're thinking? Or three yeah, plus one? I think if you wanted him to take as little as like 30 million in year one, you do start to open up some of those scenarios where you're giving him a fifth year. And maybe you could guarantee some of that last year. Maybe you could structure it a certain way. Um, but I think there's a possibility he gets a fifth year because that would allow him to get as the total he wants and allow them to add help now. Um, I don't know that ownership would prefer that type of structure, but, uh, from like the fans perspective, that it might be some compromise where you'd be willing to, to look at and say, he gets what he wants. The team does right by him and whatever they promised him when he was still in Brooklyn to ask out in the first place and they can add help this summer. It's interesting. Yeah. You brought up two interesting things. Um, one, I did not I was not aware of that with the 2025 that there's a possible um, cap spike in which that would make that contract. So maybe that's why Daryl Morey, who we know is very forward thinking, he might already have that in mind or have an idea of how that's going to look. And like you said, maybe by that time, this contract doesn't look the same as it does now. Um, that's a very real possibility that I hadn't even considered. So that's a really interesting point. And then also, I just think about the idea and there, it's it is a needle to thread as far as help right now. And that Tyrese Maxey extension, which to me, it's got it, it like, there's just no gray area there. Like Tyrese Maxey at this point looks like he is well on his way to becoming a max basketball player. Right. I mean, there's, there's almost like no discussion. It seems like you have to save some money or have to save some space in order to make that happen. So threading that needle is going to be really interesting. And I don't, 
envy Daryl Morey's position at the same time. This is what Daryl Morey does, right? Like this is what he, this is what makes him so good is is being aware of okay, I need to do this now, and we need help now. But then also, you know, looking down the road because, and I do think that term "all in." It's it's not a, like you can be all in and still worry about the future a little bit, right? Like you you can be all in on now while while like you don't have to completely ignore the future while you're going all in. Like you can structure. I'm sure Maury has already thought of several creative ways where he can structure it that way, where they'll still have some space where they can do some things and finagle some things and be creative this year to get those to get that trio some help while also making sure that when Maxie's time comes, Maxie's going to be able to get paid and it's going to be a, a, a deal that makes sense for Maxie, makes sense for the Sixers and, and sets them up for the future. So um, just some really interesting things that have, to, that have to go on there. But speaking of building this team around Joel Embiid, building this team around James Harden, around Tyrese Maxie, that seems to be to me, and I think you'd agree, those three are safe. Everything else is way the hell up in the air. I could see any... Uh, any other player on the roster being moved in some way, shape or form, whether it's just for salary matching or whether it's, you know, a, a guy like a Matisse Thibel, who I would think does still have some value and you're getting something back, whether you're throwing him in, it's a bias move, whatever. But when you're talking about building a team around those three guys, what do you think James Harden is kind of like, you know, and I, you know, we, the, the, the overworn out narrative, like, is he a facilitator? Is he, a, is he a playmaker? I think there's room for him to be kind of a little bit of both playing next to Maxi and playing next to Joel Embiid. But I also see like what Chris Paul does in Phoenix and they're not the same player clearly. Um, but I see some of the things Chris Paul does well. And I kind of think to myself, like, why can't James Harden do some of those things? Like, I know the Mori ball idea of threes and shots at the rim and, and free throws. Like that's what you want to get. And I get that. But, and I do think James to his credit did try to incorporate more of those little like mid range pull-ups because he can hit them. I mean, he's got unbelievable touch. He's a great shot. So why not just occasionally pull up from the elbow? Or I think he was trying to incorporate that floater a little bit more too. Like why not do a little bit of that more going forward? So where do you see, I guess, where do you see the areas for James? Like, fitting in next to those two guys? Like, where, where do you think his game needs the most work? And do you think there's an idea like he has to be more of a shooter or excuse me, has to be more of a scorer, has to be more of a facilitator? Or do you kind of not see that? Do you think he kind of has to be a little bit of both? It's a tough one. Oh, man. I guess my feeling is some of what we saw, I mean, he was just so bad at the, at the end. Like game six, he did not want the ball. Right. He was hiding in the corner. I don't I didn't understand it. I was like, is he shrinking from this moment? Is he really hurt? Is this some combination of both? Because uh, when he plays off ball like that, he's really not helpful at all because he's getting dusted on defense. And then he's just hiding in the corner. And even if you kick it out to him because this man doubled, he doesn't shoot it. He likes to dribble. So he's got to become better off the ball. He's got to be able to hit wide open three pointers if you, if you kick it to him. If you're going to play with Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, that's going to be a must. I have no doubt that if he had stayed in Oklahoma and that was a priority for him, he could have figured that out. And he, that he could have made that his career, basically, um, knocking down tons of those. The same way you might feel comfortable that if Joel Embiid was playing with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, he could just focus on getting the defensive player of the year. You know he's got it in him. 
Um, it might just, some part of it might be mental and he hasn't done it a lot in a long time, but the other part of it is, and you alluded to it earlier about the fouls. If he's healthy, if he's a little bit quicker than he was last year, if he could play at, you know, the level that we saw when he was clearly feeling good, like new Orleans or game four at home against the Raptors, when the game begins and you think, Oh, he's got it tonight. Um, even if that means like sitting every few games a healthy scratch here and there to keep him fresh and then I think he does err more towards a scorer than a playmaker even though he's obviously amazing at both and I think the best version of the Sixers gets gets much more of the scorer than we saw in pivotal moments last season so I also think that cascades and like if the if the officials can see that he's getting to the rim occasionally or, or draining some more mid-range shots like you, like Chris Paul does, like you said, then they're going to give him that whistle again because it was really ugly at times watching him draw fouls that weren't called. And then seeing a guy who has this, who doesn't have the same reputation but is also on one leg like Kyle Lowry get, Kyle Lowry get that call. It was weird to me. Right. It was, I mean, it was, it was clear from the beginning of the season that they're like, Harden was like, I hate to say it, but like him and Trey Young were kind of the targets, right? Like they were the poster boys of those those rules emphasis, and it clearly affected both guys, and both guys were kind of targeted. I mean, there's no other way to kind of put it. Yeah, and and, and you understand it like when Giannis does it or Marcus Smart does it and Jimmy Butler does it. It's like, okay, you're playing so well. I'm going to give you – I'm calling fouls for you all the time. You, you trick me. I get it. Right. And then when, but when you see PJ Tucker and Kyle Lowry get away with it, it's like, well, now you're just sort of, uh, you know, biased against one player. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and it was, it, you're right. Like sometimes it was really tough though. And like the, the issue I had with it was okay. When he, when he does, cause he, he still does like, he still grips sometimes. And like, he just throws his arms up in the air, hoping to get a call when he just gets stripped cleanly. He does do that. That happens a lot. But the problem is, there were just so many legitimate calls. Like I remember there was one, I can't remember which game it was, maybe game two in Philly against Toronto where like Siakam grabbed his arm, like literally just grabbed his arm going up to the basket and they didn't call it. And I'm like, how do you miss that? Like, and it's because it's the rep thing. And it really was that he was kind of a target of that. So yeah, but you're right. I, I think him looking a little smoother on the offensive end, hitting more shots that will you know, kind of like, you, like the way you put it, I think is fair, like trick the officials into being like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe you did get fouled if that, if that's how bad this looked, but the problem is yeah. so many things looked bad at times that they didn't call it. But yeah, I, I, I tend to be optimistic about Harden because I think, and you can tell me your opinion, I, I that hamstring hasn't been right for either. Like he just hasn't been right. Healthy. He hasn't been healthy for a while now, for over a year, the guy has just not been healthy. And I think just having that time to where he said he, like he even said is he was just starting to feel like himself. He was just starting to feel that way um, during the, during his last press conference. So if he's just starting to feel that way and he can have what resembles a normal off season where he can work on some of those things we talked about and just get back to also being himself. I feel pretty optimistic that he's going to be, Again, somewhere between, you know, not not Houston Harden, but the Brooklyn Nets Harden, I think he can return to that, especially playing next to Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. Do you think he'll make an all-star team next year? That's a great question. 
Do you think maybe Maxi steals the spot instead? <laughs> if he did, I wouldn't be mad. Right. I think the Sixers would be quite happy if if uh, James Harden doesn't get the All Star nod because Tyrese Maxi did. I think everyone would be pretty happy with that. Um, I think I think it's possible because one reputation and the name. So I think that carries weight with people, with you know, especially coaches and other players. And then two, I do expect them to just be better. And I do th- like all these little nuances that I feel like the Sixers, like the, the him and Joel and beat all the little kinks that they couldn't like all the stuff with the pick and roll Joel and beat in the short roll. Like you said, James being off the ball, needing to just shoot threes when he's wide open. These little things that I, I think are, they just feel very fixable, right? Like they feel like things that if you have time in an off season to go over them and know like, okay, this is what we did. Here's how defense has reacted to it. And here's how we, react to that kind of a thing. Um, I have, I, again, I have optimism that, 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 that they're going to be better. Like I, I fully expect Joel and B to be even better next year. I really do. I expect him to work on some of those little things um, that could take him to another level. I fully certainly expect Tyrese Maxey to be on another level next year. So I think given that uh, James Harden just fixes those things we talked about, which again, they're not crazy. They're not these hard, difficult things that are like taking more mid-range shots, which he's capable of making, taking more floaters, which he's capable of making, taking wide open threes, which he should be capable of making. Like these are things that seem plausible and and, and easy fixes. Um, I'll let you have the last word though on this. Like, what do you, what's your anticipation as far as what James Harden, the Sixers will get and, and how do you think he will look um, next season? I guess I'm going to go with a little bit of optimism too. Full disclosure, I'm biased. I've been a big James Harden fan for a long time. Um, been a Doc, uh, a Daryl Doc. I've been a Daryl Morey fan. Gonna, whoa, you almost said you're a Doc Rivers fan, which we know <laughs> would just be not true. <laughs> um, so I'm going to be optimistic here. Um, he was my pick for finals MVP in Brooklyn last year because I thought they'd get there and you know, he could do a little front running in that realm and like stockpile the 20 and 10 games in the finals with, with all that talent around him. But I think they're going to get some version that's closer to Nets 2022 Harden and Nets 2021 Harden, maybe something in between those two. Uh, I do think the injuries is a really big reason why he's been so slow over the last 14 months. Obviously, Father Time counteracts whatever improvement he makes, and it's now two years later. So the downside here is very much there, and I can point towards this horrifying reality of if he pulls his hamstring at any point next season, it's going to be DEFCON 1 in Philly because it's like that's three seasons now this has popped up. Um, what can we expect by the playoffs? Is, this, is he going to be thinking about it all year? What's Simon Rice doing to help? So – but I'm going to go optimistic. I'm going to say that he looks a lot better than he did this season. I really hope that the Sixers get both him and Joe on some sort of load management program where there is a healthy scratch occasionally. Don't want them gunning for these regular season awards, particularly the All-Star game, because that's a first half of the year award. I wish there was an All-Star game at the second half of the year <laughs> and you go for that one. Because um, I think they got to be careful with, uh, with their squad. I'm glad you gave Simon Rice a shout out. The literally the man wrote the book on hamstrings. So hopefully uh, his presence will help James Harden get healthy, get right. The most important a- man in Philly now is the I VP mean, of athletic care. <laughs> I mean, you might not be wrong about that. Uh, I want to thank Dave Early for hopping on and talking all things James Harden. 
And we're again, I would encourage all of you to check out his article about what a James Harden contract may look like, as well as all the other great articles we have um, up on libertyballers.com right now. Please check that out and please check out all of our other podcasts as well, where we are reviewing every player from the Sixers for this season and beyond. And please download, rate, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This has been the Coming In for a Landing podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hudrick, and I will talk to you next time.